This episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown is brought to you by the Onstage Blog Podcast Network at onstageblog.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention for please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. You've got talent. Let's see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? Welcome, folks, to another edition of the Movie Musical Shakedown. I am your host, Chris Peterson. Really glad you're joining us this week for what should be an excellent, excellent, insightful, interesting episode where we look at a film that, um, well, I have to be honest, has a uh, somewhat problematic legacy, I guess you could say. We're talking about Babes in Arms, the 1939 Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland classic, a film that I had never seen before, uh, before this. I had never seen it, didn't do any research into it, just wanted to kind of go in blind watch it, and then, you know, obviously do the back-end research afterwards, and um, was not expecting to see what basically unfolds uh, in the last 10, 15 minutes of the film, which is truly uh, a jarring sight. And for those of you who have seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who haven't, I definitely recommend going to watch it, because this way you can experience exactly what I'm talking about, and I would be very interested in seeing your reaction but um, it, it's something that is, is definitely worth talking about because it complicates the film. It, in my mind, tarnishes the legacy of this film. I think it in some ways um, impacts the legacies of, of how we look at Mickey Rooney and, and Judy Garland as performers, uh, especially Mickey Rooney, who has a history of doing um, some, some pretty offensive things later in his career. Let's just put it that way, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, being one of them. Um, but Judy Garland, too, who's widely kind of this this almost angelic um, uh, person in, in movie musical history. Uh, and you'd see it in this film. I mean, she is on a whole different level than everybody else. And this is 1939, so literally months, this comes out months after Wizard of Oz. So she's really, like, launched on the scene at this point. Um and it, it just is one of those films that's like, this is going pretty well. And then, oh my God, here comes the last 10 minutes. <laughs> it's it's jaw on the floor. And um, like I said, I definitely recommend watching it because uh, these are the types of things that, you know, we have to watch because we have to understand that they're wrong. And we have to understand that we can never go back and do these types of things um, again in film or culture or entertainment, whatever it may be. And, and for those of you who are guessing what what in the world is he talking about, um, you're, those hints are probably coming sooner. But again, you should you should really look into this film. Um, and interestingly enough, this is not the way the stage show uh, is written. It, it, it is a completely different variation and they changed it for the movie version and it's um, confusing as to why. But I've got a phenomenal guest co-host this week. We, we're giving Nicole the week off, but I am joined by my good friend Ashley Griffin, who is just a 
walking, talking encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to these things. Uh, it's just unbelievable the amount of information she knows, the research she does. She has her own podcast that she does on this network called Stage Directions, which I definitely recommend you check out because if you like what she brings on this episode, you're going to love her podcast as well. Uh, she's also written a number of columns for us. She's done amazing things in her theatrical career. Uh, and she's got some amazing things coming up that she, I think she believes, I believe she talks about in this episode um, as well. So um, I'm really happy to have her because, again, she's the perfect person to talk to uh, when kind of breaking down these these very complex and, and important discussions. And I, I could not have asked for a better uh, guest host this week. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ashley is going to be here. We're going to break down Babes in Arms and uh, and get into all the, the nitty-gritty of it and, and really, you know, take, take a long, hard look at this film. Uh, but, of course, as first, as always, here is the trailer. Play day is done. We've a place in the sun. We must fight. But Metro-Golden-Mare is no prouder of any musical attraction in its history than Babes in Arms. Good morning. We've danced the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning. Do you? How do you do? I said good morning. Sun is shining. Good morning. Here's the birdies sing. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning. Do you? Seems we stood and talked like this before We looked at each other in the same way then But I can't remember where Oh, when Some things that happen for the first time Seem to be happening again And we're back, and I am now joined by Ashley Griffin, one of my good friends on the blog who has done some amazing work. It's so good to talk to you again. Oh my gosh. It's so good to talk to you, and thank you so much for having me on. I've missed this. Of course. And you know, it's funny, you know, in the previous episodes that we've been doing, um, so much feedback about how many people listened to it and just loved just everything that you're bringing to the pod, just your experience, your knowledge. Um, so I cannot wait to dig into Babes in Arms with you. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so excited for Babes in Arms because it's a show that is very near and dear to my heart. So yeah, you mentioned that. So you were actually in the show. I was okay. So I went to um, I've as I've talked at length about on your um, school podcast. I went to the Hamilton Academy of Music for high mm -hmm. school, um, which was just the most amazing experience ever. And they most of the shows that they did really focused on sort of classic musicals. You know, they weren't really the school that was doing Rent. Mm -hmm. And the very first lead that I ever got was in Babes in Arms, and it was the original 1937 script, which is not done 
as frequently, but it was the original um, Rogers and Hart version. And so I, you know, learned all about the show. I was in the show. I was um, one of the leads and it, it was just such a special experience for me. And it's such a, a sweet show. And it, it's going to be really interesting doing this podcast because obviously I've seen the film and that's what we're speaking about today. But my like most of my knowledge and certainly my first experiences of this piece were from the 1937 show. Um, and then Encores did a version of it where um, I think we might have even gotten some of their costumes or whatnot, but Chris Fitzgerald was in it. So so that 1937 production is what I know the most about. And then they did a revamped theatrical version in the 50s. Um, but then the movie is its whole other thing. And I mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the version I'm as familiar with, but clearly I have I have watched it. I have since reviewed it and um they're two very different things. So. Yeah, and we'll get into that because I, I'm really curious to know because this is actually the first time I've ever seen anything Bames and Arms. I, mm-hmm. you know, surprisingly, like when I was going down my list of movie musicals I wanted to do, this one came up. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I've never either seen yeah. the stage show or or the musical or the movie. And so when I sat down and, and watched it the other day, um, mm-hmm. I went in blind. I said, you know, I'm not going to do any research. I'm not going to read any articles. I'm just going to watch it and see what happens. Um, right. And um, it, uh, it it's an interesting watch. It takes a turn, definitely, yep. at some mm-hmm. point, which we'll talk about. But um, let's talk about those differences real quick before we get into anything. So what were some of the big that you noticed uh, between the stage show and, and the, what we got within the movie? Sure. Well, the, kind of the whole structure and the central point of it gets changed. I mean, for the movie, they changed it to a Mickey Rooney, well, a Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland, kind of Andy Hardy esque mm-hmm. film, like to fit into that thing. Um, in the in the original production, it's a Rodgers and Hart musical. It originally opened in 1937. And um, interesting trivia: the whole trope that we have in musical theater now about let's put on a show in the barn came from this show. Like this show invented that trope or that genre this was right, the first time right. that, that ever existed so in the original musical it's um it's about a group of kids and i use the term loosely because they're most of them are like older teenagers but there are some like actual children right, and they live yeah. in this small town where all of their parents are vaudeville performers and it's the great depression and so nobody has any work And the parents basically are like, hey, kids, we need to go try to get work on what's left of the vaudeville circuit. See you later. And so, like, the inciting incident that happens before the show even starts is every adult has left this town. And they're (laughs) going off to find work. And so they've left all these kids alone. And so um, the basic, basic premise of it is Val, Valentine Lamont, who is the main kid um is trying to take care of everybody in this community in the in the meantime the sheriff of the town somewhat rightfully is like hey kids you can't all just like be living on your own like this is wildly illegal um so i'm gonna send you all to the work farm and the kids are like no we don't want to go to the work farm you know that's terrible, you know, and so they come up with this idea that they're going to literally put on a show in the barn and raise money so that they can, like, keep living because their parents aren't sending them any money. So that's the basic plot is they need to put on a show in the barn so that they don't get sent to the work farm. Um, within there are little sub-stories. Um, Val meets a, a young woman named Billy who is a 
tramp in the 1930s sense of somebody who like hitchhikes around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why she sings the classic Rogers and Hart song, The Lady is a Tramp. It's from this show. Oh, okay. Um, and so they have like a romance and they're sort of like the main romantic leads. And then the part that I played was Dolores, who's the sheriff's daughter. So she's like the only one not in danger of going to the work farm. But she's um, she's a little Ado Annie-ish. She falls into that kind of like comic lead, like secondary lead kick mm-hmm. role. And she has dated literally every guy in this town. So she's really dedicated to not wanting them to go to the work farm as well, but more because she's very sad about where all her boyfriends would go. Um, and then the other crazy thing that happens is a, a character named Baby Rose, who's supposed to be like a parody of Shirley Temple. And the idea is that this is um, a girl who, when she was really young, was a very famous Shirley Temple in Hollywood. And she's now a teenager. And for some an inexplicable reason she's like passing through this town and they're like oh if we get a star in our show we'll make a lot of money and so they convince her to like be the lead in the show um and then they do end up getting sent to the work farm Dolores gets them back and they end up putting on this show and there's this whole other crazy thing that happens at the very end that um I think might be part of where Drowsy Chaperone got the whole thing about the aviatrix at the end um, oh. Renee Flambeau, the famous aviator, is supposed to be like passing through the town. And part of the whole like thing that's going on is Val like says Renee Flambeau is like coming and like pretends to be him, but he's not actually coming. But then he does actually show up. And the sheriff is like, You lied about this whole thing. And they have to convince Renee Flambeau to like back up their story and like sell this whole thing, which when Dolores decides to make out with him, he suddenly is like, sure, this is all great. And then like everybody ends up together. They find out their parents like all got jobs. They raise enough money so they don't have to go to the work farm. And then they sing some more. Um, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's super random. There's some of Rogers and Hart's best songs in it. It's really fun. And in the original 1937 production, they really, I guess, kind of in contrast to what they did with the movie, um, for the time, it was a pretty decently diverse cast. I believe it was the show that introduced the Nicholas brothers to the world. They were mm. two of the kids in the town who were amazing tappers, and they had all of these giant tap features like throughout the show. There's also a dream ballet in it that's hilarious, that makes no sense. Um, but there's great songs. It's super fun. There's like a little romance, but the romance isn't like really the central story in it. Mm-hmm. And then they did a 1950s version, which is probably the version that most people who have done it on stage, I think, have done. I don't know why they made some weird choices, um, but like the whole thing kind of takes place in the theater and Dolores isn't really as much of a character. She's sort of like off on the side and does some funny things every so often. The, th- the things that the movie did that then kind of stuck with it is they made the whole thing kind of center around the romance between Val and Billy. Um, in the movie, Dolores is not even a character. And when baby Rose shows up, they create this whole crazy love triangle between Val, Billy, and baby Rose that definitely did not exist in the original. Um, and they just changed a bunch of stuff. They took out a bunch of songs. They added other songs that MGM like had in their staple already. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very, very different thing. And I do think the original 1937 production, while of its times and still problematic, is very charming. And I think that that's sort of the version that most people should primarily look to um, when thinking about doing anything with this show. But the movie... 
The movie definitely has some issues. I love that Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland are in it, but it has much more of a feel of an Andy Hardy movie um, Mm -hmm. with elements of Babes in Arms kind of tacked on to it um, that they really took a left turn kind of from what the original 1937 production was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a breakdown. That's fantastic. Uh, Well, before we get into breaking down kind of some things we thought about uh, this movie, um, what I changed things up a little bit in terms of the format since last time we chatted. So I'm going to kick things off by just giving three fast facts I found out um, about this film and just wanted to see if anything uh, was interesting about maybe behind the scenes, some awards that it won, just an interesting factoid. So first and foremost, I found out that this is actually the first uh, directorial debut of Busby Berkeley. I yep. had no idea. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, very famous choreographer before this, but I, you know, this is his first turn um, at directing, and and what a turn it was. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. On that end, um, another interesting fast fact I found out was this was actually um, the f- uh, fourth highest grossing film of mm. 1939, which is by many people considered maybe the greatest year in cinematic history of the 20th century um, yeah we had the likes of gone with the wind wizard of, um, oz. wizard of oz mr smith goes to washington goodbye mr chips so it, just a great great year of movies and interestingly enough this movie came out um about four months after wizard of oz mm-hmm. um and actually grossed higher than wizard of oz it actually did wow. better um probably because it was julie garland's follow-up maybe and people yeah. were just you know wanted yeah. to see what she was going to do next but um I just found that really interesting that this is the four of, of, of all those great movies that came out. This is number four on that list, which I think is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, the this movie ended up getting two Academy Award nominations, one for Mickey Rooney for Best Actor in a Leading Role, mm-hmm. uh, who at the time was 19. So he was actually the second youngest actor ever nominated uh, within that category. And it was also nominated for Best Music Scoring uh, for Roger Inns and Georgie Stahl. So there's your three mm-hmm. fast facts uh, about that movie. But um, let's get into it. Let's, let's just dig right into the film itself. So right off the bat... Um, you know, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say this out loud, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, yeah. Ashley, on on this. I've decided that I don't like Mickey Rooney, and, hmm. and it's taken me. I haven't watched his entire catalog. I, yeah. I, I'll be honest. I've probably seen several of his movies. Yeah. And each time, I'm like, you know what? He's he's doing things. He's. I appreciate the effort. I certainly respect anybody who who says that they love Mickey Rooney. I just don't get it. I just, I look at it as being way over the top. Um, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Mickey Rooney as a, as a, his legacy, his career, his, you know, everything? I mean, I think that he existed in a really special niche in terms of the kinds of roles that he was doing and the kinds of films that he was making. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it, it is a very specific kind of acting. Um <laughs> It's interesting because my first um, exposure to him actually was in the really old um, film of A Midsummer Night's Dream where he plays Puck when he oh, was yeah. literally a child. Mm-hmm. And um, th- that's an interesting performance as well. But it, I think it maybe lends itself to being heightened because of the of the story and the situation and whatnot. I think I think he's very talented. I think he created a, a sort of genre of character. But there, there's part of me that wonders how much of how many films and whatnot he made was a because he was able to play a young 
a young adult for so long because he was just very short and tiny. Right. Um, and how much of it was just, you know, that they put him and Judy Garland in a movie together and it seemed to work. And so they just kept doing it over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think he has sort of an interesting style. I think there's a, a kind of old fashioned charm to it, but, um, I don't know. I'm I'm interested what some of those films would have been like if somebody different had been paired up with Judy Garland. And also, I don't know, for some reason, I always think in the back of my mind, all the stories that I, I have heard and other people have heard about how he um, was like, you know, chasing Lana Taylor and was, you know, kind of buddies with Judy Garland. They were always really close, but was not always super nice to her in terms of how she felt about herself as a young woman in that situation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Clearly I wasn't there, but you no, know, just based on the stories that you hear um, through the grapevine, I don't know, but he's an, he's an interesting one. And um, especially when you think of some of his later work, um, like what he did in um, breakfast at Tiffany's and stuff, it's, I don't know. I feel a little yeah. on the fence about it. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. You know, and it's funny because meanwhile, I'm I'm loving everything that Judy Garland's doing in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> it's yeah. like you're getting her right at this like amazing time in her career. And I don't know if you saw this actually, but like as I'm watching this, I, I'm thinking to myself, how ahead of her time was she with the way she was singing, the way she was acting. It just, it felt like I'm watching someone do something completely different than everybody else um, at that time. And that's probably what made her special. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on Judy Garland as well. And side note, I meant Lana Turner. I think I said Lana Taylor. By oh, I think you did. So if you do any, any name, feel free to. Maybe it was her maiden name. I couldn't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Judy Garland clearly is one of the most beloved lasting like stars of human history. Um, mm. And I think her voice was a gift from God. Um, oh, yeah. It's clearly something that she had, like from the moment she was born. And I, I know a lot about her. I mean, most people listening probably know a lot about her. There's a really great, uh, I mean, everything, everything that's been made is, you know, slightly inaccurate, but I, I do really love the, the made for TV movie, um, me and my shadows that was based on her daughter's book, um, that goes through her whole history, basically from her birth to her death. Um, but I think that she seemed to be somebody who there was no filter between her heart and her voice that when she was acting or when she was singing, it was just literally like you were seeing the heart of this human being in Mm. front of you Mm -hmm. um, without any facade or any seeming acting that she was doing, although she was a great actress and she was clearly a great technician, but it's just, it seems very pure and honest. And I, I think maybe because she was somebody who had a lot of insecurities and personally felt like she wasn't good enough or wasn't measuring up um, and yet had this great gift to sort of express that, um, that it maybe is one of the reasons that everybody kind of identifies with her, um, that she can be so beautiful and so talented, but also sort of be the girl next door who we all relate to. Um, right. It's really extraordinary. Um, yeah, no, so. it's just, as I was watching, I was just like, everything she's doing, I was like, wow, it just feels like I'm just watching a completely someone on a completely different level than yeah. um 
everybody else. And it just was incredible. And the one thing I always appreciated about Judy Garland, and I know that like, obviously with the way that they made these movies back then, and they're kind of singing over a track while they're Mm -hmm. filming it. We've also seen, you know, recordings of her singing live, the effortlessness of the sound. I mean, it looks like she just opens her mouth and breathes and the sound comes out. Uh, It just is amazing. And um, it, you know, it's just funny, like watching this movie just made me appreciate who she was. The fact that we lost her at 47 years old is just a tragedy, Um, but it's just an incredible um, actress on on that part. So uh, just go ahead. I was just going to say, it's one of the reasons that I wish that they had stuck closer to the Broadway show because some of Rogers and Hart's greatest work was in that show and they cut all but two songs in the movie Mm. and her character originally saying, you know, the lady is a tramp and my funny Valentine and all these songs that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wish that Judy Garland was singing those songs in this show. Um, but yeah. So I wish that they'd given, given her more of that material to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what else do you have? What are the notes do you have about this film? Um, well, one, I mean, I guess we're going to get into it at some point. One thing that I find really interesting is how, um, race is dealt with in such a different manner yeah. in the film, in the musical, actually racism is a plot point. Like one of the, vil- the sheriff is kind of a villain in the sense that he's, you know, trying to send the kids to the work farm, but he's still operating from a good place. Like he's not a bad guy. You just right. like don't really want him to do that. But there's another character, um, Lee, who's like, like communism comes up in this, racism comes up in this. Lee has a little brother who's like best friends with the Nicholas brothers in the show. And they don't want him hanging out with them because they're black. And like this becomes a plot point and the kids like sneak out to hang out with each other because they're like best friends. Hmm. Um, and so like racism is a thing that is addressed in the musical. I'm not saying it's it's dressed spectacularly by today's standards but certainly by 30 1937 standards i think that they were dealing with it pretty well and it's framed as a terrible thing that racism is bad that the real villain of the show is a racist and that we need to stop it and then in the movie um the biggest um relation to talking about having any discussion about race not that it's a discussion but any relation to race as an issue i guess is when they go and do the show in the barn, basically the entire thing is blackface numbers, which yeah. was not a thing in the musical. And I don't quite understand why they went from show dealing with heavy hitting issues in, I think, a decently positive way to great. Let's put a minstrel show in this movie. Now, it was also the 30s. Minstrel shows were still popular at the time. But I think it's the big giant stain on this film that's that's the reason that it's not you know, talked about or shown more frequently. And, you know, yeah. there's a lot of issues about that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where I was, as I was watching it and I was like, okay, yeah. The, the opening shot of the movie, by the way, is you see a, a drawing of a character in blackface. And so you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, okay. So, you know, not me, not knowing what was happening later. I was like, oh gosh, you're okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I saw, I thought to myself, maybe that's the one slight uh, on this movie from a uh, 2021 lens, but you know, little did I know. Um, and, you know, there's obviously there's, you know, hardly any, uh, you know, black actors and performers or extras in this movie whatsoever right. uh, until you get to baby's um, maid or, or nanny, right. uh, Millicent, who uh, 
gets a couple lines of dialogue and that's really about it. And, and then the minstrel show shows starts. And actually I have to tell you, I'm, so I'm sitting here, I'm watching yeah. the movie. I'm watching it casually. I have a drink in my hand. I was drinking a soda. Oh no. Oh, no. The show starts and I start coughing on my soda and I'm cho- it, it It looked like a spit take in a movie where yep. I could not believe what I was watching. And it wasn't even, it was, yes, it was the sight of blackface number one, but the, to the level that they go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, t- we talk about Mickey Rooney's legacy where, you know, he famously, when, when we talk about yellow face, right. That's he's the example. The, he's we, the example. Yeah. He's the example. And yeah. between this and that, it's like, Oh gosh, like Mickey Rooney, like, how do we feel about you? Like, it's just, it, it really is so gosh darn wrong. And so gosh darn, um, uh, uncomfortable to watch now. And I'm glad I'm obviously I'm glad it's uncomfortable to watch. I'm glad right. we recognize that this is obviously a, a terrible practice and should never be repeated whatsoever. Um, but it, it was funny because as I was watching this, you know, there was this big deal when Disney Plus was releasing Dumbo and all these movies yeah. that had mm-hmm. actually insensitive parts about it. And they put that disclaimer, you know, before. Yeah. So I watched this on Amazon Prime. There was no disclaimer. No disclaimer? Wow. Like no, nothing to give anybody a warning about, um, you know, what happens, you know, about 45 minutes in. So yeah. it um, it just was awful to, to watch. And and to see Judy do it too. That's and, the thing. That's the ugh. thing. And th- it's funny because this is in every, you know, theater history class that I've taken or taught. Obviously this, this film comes up and in classes that I've taken, it it's kind of carted out as the example of we need to understand that this was commonplace back then. And it was just another form of entertainment. See, Judy Garland did it. And mm. While, yes, this was an element of our history that, you know, is shameful, but it was common. It seems to be the thing that people kind of tread out, but like, but see, Judy Garland did it. And it's just like, it hurts my heart, like every time somebody says it. And I think it's the uh, the hardest kind of pill to swallow because we all love Judy Garland so much. And it's like, no, Judy, not you. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but right. the other thing we have to think about is, well, A, it, 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 I, can't believe I'm saying this. It was a different time, but also, you know, actors were not in the position that they're in today. You know, speaking of, you know, conversations that are being had about, you know, Scott Rudin and and actors stepping away from shows and whatnot. If you were a contract player, especially if you were a teenager at a major studio, you could not walk away from, like, you couldn't say no. Like, that was the problem. That's why we changed the studio system. We, like, I was there and did personally. That's why the studio systems changed because if you were cast in something and told this is the number you're doing, like, you did it. Um, you, mm-hmm. you did not mm-hmm. have the option of saying no, but I, I, I don't, I don't understand because especially because, you know, the, the show launched the Nicholas brothers, at least wide commercial career. Um, and they became, they were in films subsequently. So I don't understand why a, the Nicholas brothers didn't continue to be wonderful featured roles in the film, but also why they like changed from a show that's actually relatively positively addressing racism to like, this is the thing that they're going to perform and keeping in mind what they cut, like in the show within the show in the musical, in the, in the stage musical, the center of that is Johnny one note, which is Mm. phenomenal and Mm -hmm. amazing. They like, they cut it from the movie, all the stuff that they come cut from the movie. Um, I wish I were in love again. You are so fair. Um, 
imagine West End Avenue, which is adorable. And if anybody needs like a, a period specific audition song that nobody ever does, West End Avenue is kind of adorable. Um, I don't I don't get it. And I it, it just it makes me really uncomfortable and really angry that they're like, great, they're going to finally do the big show that we've been building toward. And it's like entirely a minstrel show. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I tried to do some research into finding out why they changed yeah. so much and I couldn't find any real answers. It just yeah. it seemed like it just was a, all right, we'll just make some business decisions and cut this and cut that. And, you know, that'd be that. Be that. But um, yeah, it's just, it's weird. It's, it's very weird. Also, it was kind of weird hearing like most of the score of Singing in the Rain. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Like there's a lot of Singing in the Rain um, in yeah. this movie. So uh, they did just a lot. Broadway Melody uses a lot of Singing in the Rain songs. Yeah. And yeah, those songs came up very frequently. <laughs> I guess that, that was the thing to do back then. And um, yeah, yeah just, just very interesting on that end. So um, great. Well, Ashley, do you have anything else before we break into rating our dancing, design, and singing and acting? Um, I think that this is a movie that really falls by the wayside very mm. frequently. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that has to do with the really, you know, terrible racist depictions in it. But I think the other reason is it, it kind of falls into the category of all of the Andy Hardy movies that Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland made, which kind of are indistinguishable from each other at some point. Right. Um, because they're kind of all about, I love the girl next door, but not really. And we're going to put on a show and then I'm going to discover I love, like they're all the same movie. And so this kind of just falls in that category of like indiscernible Andy Hardy movies, although it's not technically an Andy Hardy movie. Um, But because of all those things, I think it's a, it's a film that most people have not seen. And it's a show that is important and is a beautiful show and given, well, largely a beautiful show. And given the fact that it is rare to be able to see the the stage version, I would encourage people, if you feel comfortable, to check out the movie because there's there's some wonderful performances in it. It's the only archived video production of anything bearing any relation to the Rodgers and Hart musical, which itself has, like most people aren't as familiar with. And it's a show that we should know for a lot of reasons. It's an important show. There's a lot of good things in the show. Um, it's also very easy in the movie to just like not watch the ending, mm-hmm. you know, just like you don't watch the show in the barn. Um, but I would encourage people to check it out and not think of it just as sort of this dusty black and white generic film, because there is a strong history with it and there are good performances. And, and, and I think it's an important one to be familiar with if you are in this profession. Um, and most people are not, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch the movie until I found out that my high school was doing the show. Um, so I, I would, I would say, check it out. Maybe don't watch like, you know, the last third of it. Um, but, but check it out because it's one, it's a show that I don't want to be forgotten because there are a lot of good things about it. And it's one that we should be familiar with and should know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I'll be honest with you. It's, I think when you watch those uncomfortable scenes, like you know the minstrel show, yeah, they're important to watch because it, it is in a way, I guess you could say educational of just understanding. Okay, this yeah. is how bad it was. Mm-hmm. We can't we can't go back to this and and understand why. Because I think I think with today, especially with a younger generation coming up that that hasn't seen these things and is just simply told that's wrong without showing right. why it's wrong and 
really educating you know young people about this. I think it's important. So I agree. Yeah. You know, I I don't think this should be tossed by the wayside. It should be watched. Just maybe put a disclaimer at the beginning so we're prepared. Absolutely, um, <laughs> I'm shocked that they didn't. I'm shocked that they didn't. Oh gosh. Anyway, I mean, they put this like they put these like little you know standard disclaimers like um you know strong language or things like that or like yeah. with all these movies. Same thing with Flower Drum Song, but like nothing like by the way there are terrible things that happen towards the end of this movie that you should be um you know, heads up about so like but i, I would said, also you know, really encourage everybody to go get there's a there's a cast album from oh god i'm probably gonna get the the year wrong i think it was around 19 was it around 19? no it was the early 2000s um encores did revival an encore's revival of the original production christopher fitzgerald played gus in it i'm not remembering the rest of the cast at this moment um but that cast album is really good and it's really accurate to the original 1937 production and you'll get great recordings of a lot of phenomenal rogers and hart songs like seriously if anybody out there like is looking for period specific audition material this is a really great show to mine for great songs. I mean, every single one is, is just a, pretty much is just a hit with the know. exception of the title song. We, I, we always wondered what the thought process was behind the lyric. They call us babes in arms, but we are babes in armor. Yeah. <laughs> they, they laugh at babes in arms, but we'll be laughing far more. <laughs> <laughs> I love Rogers and Hart, but those were the couple lyrics that we were like, what? What? <laughs> Well, that whole sequence, um, yeah, when they're when they're you know marching around the neighborhood and they said that, but I was like, this is a bit of an overreaction, isn't it? Like setting yeah. a bonfire, like well, I mean, how, <laughs> how dare you leave us? Yeah, uh, but, they, but they did leave in um, where when, and that's just such a gorgeous song. But it's a great show to mine for audition material. Yes. Um, and yes. I just wish that there was some version of the Dream Ballet out there because it's hilarious. There's like a, a side character that you don't even think is like a main character who just has a couple throwaway lines in group scenes who wins a lottery ticket and has an entire Dream Ballet about what they're going to do with this lottery ticket, including going underwater and dancing with Neptune and mermaids. Mm. Um, wow. It's ridiculous and hilarious. And I just... Just go check it out because it's amazing, <laughs> and most people do not know about it, and it's just phenomenal. So. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into our ratings. Um, so what we like to do on this podcast, folks, is like to go through basically what I feel are the four most important elements of really constructing a well-made movie musical, and that, of course, is the singing, the acting, the dancing, and design of the piece. So what we like to do is basically rate what we thought were one through ten uh, in each category and give some reasons why. So, Ashley, I'm going to start with you. How would you rate the singing in this movie? I mean, anything with Judy Garland, I feel like you have to give a ten. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, the, the rest of the singing is, I think, it's good for the period. They get, you know, kind of some opera singers in there at yep. moments for random yep. reasons. Um, so I think in general, this movie is going to be a little hard to judge with these rankings because it depends on how you're quantifying them. Mm. You know, if we're judging on Judy Garland, it's like a 10. If we're judging on quality for the 1930s, I'd say probably a 10. If we're judging on mass quality for today... <laughs> Maybe this is not the way you would cast singers in this in this piece, um, <laughs> but they're all very good singers. So, yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. I kind of looked at it as I also gave it a ten, but I I 
I looked at it as this might have been the gateway into a new form of movie musical. Like, you yes. know, when you see a combination of that old operatic classical style mixed in with the almost defineless what what Judy Garland's bringing to the table, yeah. um, it just feels like you're in a this is a generational step forward towards a new form of movie music, which I, you know, lo- would love to explore deeper on other podcasts. So, uh, but and, I, and I agree. Saying, and you saying that makes me think of, um, you know, Judy Garland and Diana Durbin, who most people don't mm. remember Diana Durbin, but Diana Durbin was like Judy Garland's age and she was the young protege opera singer and Judy was the young protege, like jazz singer. Mm-hmm. And they were both with the studio and Early in Judy's career, I say Judy like she was a personal friend. Of <laughs> I know, right? Miss <laughs> um, Garland's career, um, they felt like they couldn't keep two juvenile female singers on. And there's a movie, I don't remember what it is, but in this movie, there's like a one off scene where both she and Deanna Durbin are like doing kind of, I'm a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock, but for jazz and opera on this mm. bandstand. And based on that, they were going to decide to get rid of one of them. And they just, on a whim, decided to cut Deanna Durbin and keep Judy Garland because they thought, wow. oh, well, I guess maybe we're moving more in a jazz direction. <laughs> and I always think, like, what would some of these films be like if they'd gone the other way? Like, what if Deanna Durbin was playing all of Judy Garland's roles in these movies? And it would be a very different thing. And I'm, I I think Deanna Durbin is amazing. If you see footage of her, she's very, very talented. But I'm so glad that um, that decision was made and that Judy Garland is, is in these films because she's yeah. spectacular. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, how about the dancing? What do you think of the dancing in this? Um, this, oh gosh, it's, it's hard for me to say, because if we're going purely based on technique, it's good, but then you have to look at what they're actually doing in their choreography. Um, I mean, it's Busby Berkeley. Busby Berkeley always does a phenomenal job, but most of the choreography in this piece is related to minstrel shows. And so, it's like, do I like give a eight for good technique, but like ignoring the context or do I like take context into there? And I don't know. In general, this in general, I'm going to give it a lower grade. I'm going to give it like a six because it's Busby Berkeley and it is good. However, it's a horrible, horrible scenarios that they're doing this choreography in and they get a big like, you know, slash for me in that. This show featured the Nicholas brothers and they cut them out of the movie. Completely. Um, for those of you who don't know, by the way, the Nicholas brothers were two of the most famous tap dancers like in history. Mm. They're incredible. They are on screen. They were in, in many films. Um, ridiculously talented by any standards. Um, so I don't know. The mere fact that the Nicholas brothers were not in this movie gives it some demerits for me <laughs> i agree i agree yeah no i think i i actually gave it a two and the reason i gave it a two was i'm not going to argue with that right <laughs> I, I said to myself it's a busby berkeley movie i was expecting you know these grand dance sequences and i just wasn't there like even the finale when they're singing god's country i, I was just like okay like yeah. they're moving <laughs> it's like it just it just felt like it's like if you watch like a bob fossey directed movie and it's just like okay choreography it's like it should be it yeah. should be better than than what it was so yeah i gave it a, i gave it a two um, oh, on that end god's country thing very much also very uncomfortable for <laughs> reasons well and also i find i mean 
if you're going to find any humor in it, it's like, here's a story about parents abandoning their children because of the Great Depression, them trying to not be sent to a work farm and so putting on their own show. And they're going to end by celebrating how great God's country is. <laughs> oh, my like, gosh. I'm like, it's so, like, wrong and awful. It's, like, bordering on comedy. But, like, it's just like, <laughs> What? But I mean, I I don't know. I mean, the other thing you have to think of is this was going. This film came out in the '30s when you know the Great Depression was still a thing, right, and right. ending on some sort of like hope of like, yeah, everything's terrible. I don't know. I, I think about if somebody were making like a movie musical about life during COVID, and they wanted to like put a happy spin on it, but they were for making it for people who had lived who were currently living through COVID. Like, it's a good point. Uh, it's a whole it's a whole multi-layered cake of uncomfortableness yeah, is what I'm, it is. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Oh boy. Um all right. Um how about the acting in this one, Ashley? What'd you think? I, I would give Judy Garland a ten. Everybody else, again, it's it's appropriate for the time, but it's it's a little over the top, um, yeah. especially some of the things they're given to do. So I, I would probably give most of the acting, a slightly lower grade, but Judy Garland's always going to be tops for me. So yeah, I agree. I yeah, it's it's one of those things. Again, you just watch her, folks. Watch this movie. Yeah. Watch her because again, like she's just doing things, um, just making incredible choices all yeah. around. Like you're watching a superstar. Like you just mm-hmm. like if 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 anybody was coming out of this movie blind and say, okay, who stole the movie? Who wins this movie? There's no choice. There's no choice. So I'm right there with you. I gave it a five because yeah. I gave her a 10 and everybody else kind of a two and kind yeah. of evens out. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, to speak. I'll you there. there you go. And uh, also you have to, I, you have to keep in mind that, you know, she was starting to get into the height of her career. She was making multiple movies a year. She was being drugged by her mother and by the studio. So I don't know how she was doing this with like taking uppers and downers constantly. And she was put on a starvation diet by the studio. And she oh still gosh. gives the performance that she was giving. Like, mm. what? Like, oh, my gosh. What? And we still have not yet gotten the definitive, like, what I feel like the, the Judy Garland biography slash biopic slash, right. you know, eight-part documentary on her life. Um, but, my gosh, un- just unbelievable. Um, finally, design. What do you think? Of the des- well, gosh, oh, again, that's, that's the thing. All I yeah. keep thinking about is like the minstrel numbers and it's like, well, they were well made. So do I like give it a good grade for that? Or do I give it a terrible grade because of what they were designing in the first place? Yeah, I, I, I go with the latter on that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, it's funny. Also, be- go ahead. I, I would, cont- I would, I would probably give it a low grade because Again, comparing it to the musical that they were adapting, which was a huge success, the musical, even though it took place during the Depression, even though it was, you know, a little gritty in some spots, it's so beautiful and colorful and, like, over the top in the best ways when you get into, like, numbers within numbers and, like, dream ballets and stuff, that for them to go from that to sort of just, like, drab and then inappropriate... Like yeah. it just, it, it was MGM. They could have done anything with this. And yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, I'd have to go back and research like how, because I know that they, they 
they they had done Wizard of Oz, they had done yeah. Gone with the Wind, they you know they had all this financing with other movies. So it's like, did they maybe just not have enough cash on hand to really give this the design that it needed? But you know, as I was watching, I was like, okay, this you know from looking from the costume and the the, the design standpoint, I'm like. Okay, like nothing, nothing outstanding, nothing terrible, and then of course you get to the minstrel show, and you're just like, I, I, I'm thrown. Like I'm, I, I'm, I can't, I can't look at this movie in any way, shape, or form the same way I did before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm right there with you. I gave it a three for design just because of of that. Um, towards well, the and end. Well, again, the thing that confuses me is part of, I'm sure part of why it was so successful is it was banking on the popularity of the musical because the musical was a huge hit. Um, but it doesn't seem like they treated this as an adaptation of a successful musical. It seems like they were like, okay, cool. We got the rights to this property. Let's just throw it on the conveyor belt of movies being made. Like, I'm sure these were like the same costumes they'd used in other Andy Hardy movies. Even the minstrel costumes, I'm sure were used in other films. So Mm -hmm. it feels like Mm -hmm. this was just a conveyor belt movie for them, which I find interesting given that it was an adaptation of such a successful Broadway show, which probably lent um, an audience to it. It's probably one of the reasons it was so successful is because it was an adaptation of this huge Rodgers and Hart musical. Um, So I don't quite know why they didn't put a little more effort into some elements of it, but especially it being Busby Berkeley, I mean, you'd think good old Buzz would like, you know, bust out, (laughs) bust it out for it, but. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Again, yeah, no, it definitely deserves uh, some more explanation on that end as well. I, I, I was the exact same way. I gave it. I ended up giving it like, yeah, like I said, a low score because it's just it's weird. But um, let's get into our awards because obviously we, you know, these are very prestigious awards. So even <laughs> if I even have to ask, who gets your Julia Award as the best singer in this movie? Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Come on. Judy I mean, Garland. I mean, I could, I could probably just rename the award the Judy. Maybe you, you would. Probably- yeah, I'm going to do it yeah. for this season of this podcast. It's the Judy. Julie Sweet. Andrews had her time. Um, <laughs> no offense, but you know it's it's Judy's time. So it's Judy's. It's the Judy from now on. Um, so there you go. How about how about the least best or not the best singer in this movie that you're like, eh, maybe maybe they could have dubbed that person over. Anybody that you might comes um, to mind? Not majorly. I mean, I think MGM kind of had it down in terms of dealing with singing in films, but yeah. um, so I don't think anybody was a bad singer. I can't remember who the performer was, but having an opera singer suddenly come out for babes in arms, like the title song babes in arms felt jarring. Yeah. Um, so not that he was a bad singer by any means, a wonderful singer, a very famous singer. I just can't remember his name. Um, Mickey Rooney is like a fine singer, but I don't feel like he's somebody that like I'd record a solo album of. <laughs> right. And there's not a lot of other people that like really like have featured singing in this show. So, or in the right. movie. So, Right. No, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, so it's it's weird. Not applicable. I'll put non applicable for these <laughs> great. Um, finally, who gets your bumlet award? Who's like any standout background actors or any supporting members that you're like, man, they, they really stole the scenes that they're in or anything like that? Anybody that comes to mind? Judy Garland. <laughs> I, know, right? I, I mean, mean I'm watching her in crowd scenes and she's all I'm watching. She's all you're looking at because it's Judy freaking Garland. I get I it. Thought- I have a reverse award for this one though, and it has nothing to oh. do with the performer, but character who they like made bigger and shouldn't have is Baby Rose. Mm. <laughs> Baby Rose, I love her in the musical. She's adorable and it's hilarious, especially if you think of her as like, she, I mean, because she was written to be like a Shirley Temple 
who suddenly became an adult and is now like a gorgeous, sexy teenager and like nobody right. quite knows what to do with themselves. But she's not involved in any romance. She's there as a professional. And then she's like the lead of the show within a show. And she's amazing. For some reason in the movie, they decided to make her, you know, the antithesis of Judy Garland. She's a kind of a brat. She's like super famous, but like trying to steal uh, Mickey Rooney away from Judy Garland for no explicable reason. None whatsoever. Uh, never actually ends up performing. And the character, not the actress, the character is just kind of a brat. And I'm sort of like, why did they give her this entire other storyline when it was not needed? Right, right. <laughs> so I agree. Would have, in this in this incarnation, would have preferred a little less Baby Rose. I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I actually, I had a tie for this award. First, the mm -hmm. first person was margaret hamilton um who, oh right i do love that margaret hamilton is in this who just shows up ever so briefly in the beginning but like you know she's just like judy garland i mean she's coming off as the Rick, wicked witch of the west yeah and it's like hey oh my gosh it's, it's margaret hamilton love it. um who yeah. i i'll be honest i've i've seen very few things with her where she it's not the wizard of oz so it's great to see her outside of that costume um and then the the final one which i thought was interesting is during god's country towards the end there yeah. when they're marching down the stairs they center on this kid who's like in that like um, Davy Crockett type of hat and he's carrying like a arrow, like almost like a little Cupid in a way, but um, he has this look on his face as they, they like, they pull tight on his face and it's this most, it's a little kid confused look. And I, yes. that's all I can describe it. And then when they pan out and the, the lines between them separate and one goes stage left, the other goes stage right. He's in the middle and he starts, you know, uh, circling because he doesn't know which way to exit. <laughs> yeah, off. yeah. And I'm yeah. watching that. I'm like, was that an outtake that they just decided to keep in there? Um, was that a plan thing? Who knows? But it definitely stole my attention. The fact that they centered on this kid's face, like, yeah. as he's walking down the stairs, I was like, amazing. So yeah, the two of them get my award. Um, final question for you, Ashley. Um, and and this is we've kind of almost kind of covered, I guess. But does this need a remake? Does this need a Broadway revival? All of the above? What do you think? Um, you know, I really do think that it would be great to bring this property back in some form. I'm not sure of what the best form would be exactly. Um, I'm not sure, but I mean, it's the show that created the trope of let's put on a show in the barn and it's really charming. The original musical, I think was very ahead of its time in terms of how it was dealing with like communism and race. I mean, there's like a huge communist like subplot in it dealing with racism um, and dealing with, um, you know, it, we think of the show in a barn as a cliche now, but they were putting a hopeful spin on like one of the most horrible on mass periods of this country's history for that very audience. And, mm. you know, we're living through some really difficult things now. And I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's a, at, at its heart, it's a hopeful piece that did the things that it did first. Um, I'm not quite sure what the most effective way to do that would be, but I, I think that there, I think that there must be. Um, I'd be really interested to see a film remake of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to so, get it right. Just be like, yeah, let's let's yeah. not let this be the legacy of um, of this movie, so to speak. But right. Um, yeah, I agree. I, it, does it need a Broadway revival? I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm there yet on, on a piece like this, but. I, well, I would say, I sort of feel like 
oh gosh, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this, but let's just say there are some kind of golden age shows. I feel like they get revivals constantly, mm. like all the time. Like we've seen so many versions of them and you know, that's a whole other conversation, but if you want to revive a golden age musical, you know, for various reasons, why not like dip into something like the original Babes in Arms that we haven't seen in a long time that is shockingly applicable to certain things, has a score we haven't heard in, in ages, and has a lot of room to feature great dancers and specialty performers and whatnot. I, I would love to see a revival of this versus like the 15th revival of something that we've seen a lot. Like anything goes? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything specific. Anything goes is a, it's a fine, fine, <laughs> upstanding show. With its own problems, but... With its own problems, uh, <clears throat> but yeah. But, but, but I mean, this show has, I mean, it's, it's had things like the Encores revival-ish, but um, I, I'd, I'd be really interested to see a brand new take on, on this show rather than shows that have had, uh, you know, it feels like revivals like every couple of years. Um, so love yeah, it. love it. Oh my gosh. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. Thank As you. Always. It's such a joy oh to gosh. talk to you about all this stuff. Right. I mean, it's just, it's awesome because you just bring so much to the table in terms of content knowledge. I mean, yeah. it's just, I just know that like, um, every time I have you on this podcast, I like brace myself for a just enlightening conversation about everything. So, um, love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much. And folks, we will see you right here next week on the movie musical shakedown. Come on. I bet you want to know why I shot the bastard. You're walking bad. I hold a PhD in horribleness. I'll see you at the aftermath. Peace.